Hello and welcome back to Stop and Go F1 and welcome to the Australian Grand Prix preview video. Now in this video what we're going to do is run through some of the biggest news stories of the week, take a look at what happened in free practice, make some predictions for the weekend and also take a quick look at Formula 2 and Formula 3. I thought I'd run down what it is exactly we do in these videos because I have a strange feeling that there'll be more people watching this video than the last time we did a uh, Grand Prix preview video in Saudi Arabia. So, what I've got here, I've got it on my phone, so if it looks like I'm on my phone, it's not me scrolling through Twitter, it's me reading the news stories of the week, and to start off with, we've got to talk about the big man himself, Stefano Domenicali, because he has been doing an awful lot of talking as of late. Let's start off with... Uh, Stefano Domenicali wants to cancel Friday practice, saying it's a great use for the engineers, but the public do not like them. Now, this has proven to be quite the controversial statement, because um, apparently people do like them. Well, personally, I like them an awful lot. I really do enjoy watching the practice sessions. I put out a poll in the community tab of the channel to say, do you want them cancelled, or do you think we should keep them? Now, that's a poll ended up getting 465 votes and it was a resounding 89% of people said they wanted to keep the practice sessions as they were. Now, um, the discourse around this has been an interesting one because the less practice sessions the team have, the less they know how their car setup works, which could lead to an interesting race where maybe the top teams are on the back foot and maybe the teams lower down, maybe you've got it right. That's the idea there. In terms of financially, though, I think it would be a bad idea because um, the Australian practice sessions that happen today have had over a hundred thousand people attending the track to see these practice sessions so if that was there that's a hell of a lot of money that track is losing unless of course they change it for something else which is what also has been discussed this weekend as a trialed idea where friday you would have one practice session and then qualifying for the race on sunday and on saturday you would have a one shot qualifying for a sprint race that would take place on the same day on the saturday then on Sunday you have the race where the grid was determined by the qualifying on Friday. So that would keep everything open, but maybe more excitement is the idea here. Let me know if you think that would be more exciting. I mean, it means that the actual sessions themselves mean more, but uh, yeah, it could be it could be an interesting one. Uh, as always, I'm open for trying things. If they want to give it a go, let's give it a go. But let's also be able to say if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and we can move on. Another thing Stefano has been saying is that the Spanish GP could be moved to Madrid. And now, I think when he said this, I don't know if he actually meant it or not, because... This whole F1 Experience Museum has just been opened up. It's opened up in Madrid. I imagine he was speaking to some kind of Madrid-based newspaper, and he was like, yeah, of course, we'll, we'll just come to Madrid and do a street race. And maybe it snowballed a bit here. Um, what I do find very interesting about this is a lot of the fan base of Formula 1 have been moaning about the Spanish Grand Prix for a very long time because it's not the most exciting track in the world. 
the Spanish Grand Prix came out a few weeks ago, finally said we'll get rid of that final chicane to make the track more interesting. And as soon as they've done this, uh, F1 have gone, well, actually, no, we might just leave. So it's a very interesting one from that point of view. Personally, I don't see a Madrid race happening. I think the circuit to Catalonia has been a staple of the F1 calendar for quite some time now, despite it not being that interesting. So I don't see it moving. I think if we were to have a Madrid race, it'd probably be alongside the one that we already have. Which brings me on to the final thing that Stefano Domenicali has been talking about this year, and it's a possibility of a 34-race season. Now, to give Stefano the benefit of the doubt, because this quote kind of went a little bit wild earlier in the week, when he said F1 could have a 34-race season... I think what he meant to say was, with all the places approaching us saying they want to race, we could have a 34-race season. Saying, we have 34 places that want to be on the calendar. Not saying it would be a thing we would actually look at, if that makes sense. I don't think Stefano Domenicali is really thinking of pulling out a 34-race season. He's just saying that if he accepted every race application... He could have. That's how I interpreted that. I think it got a bit out of context, that quote. Let's stop talking about Stefano Domenicali right now and talk about something much worse, McLaren. But it could be good news for McLaren because it's McLaren musical chairs. Now, last week, James Key was let go by McLaren. He was the technical director of McLaren and he is to be replaced by uh, David Sanchez from Ferrari. Now, he's currently on gardening leave from Ferrari, so when you leave a team, you have to not touch anything and not do anything remotely technical for a certain amount of time. For this, for uh, David Sanchez, it will be until the 2024 season, so he's just waiting it out to start off in McLaren. Interestingly, I've been reading um, Adrian Newey's book lately. I've just finished it. And um, he talks about when he left Williams to join McLaren. And that was in... Was it 1997? 1998? Around that. So he was working on the 1998 car. So I think it was 1997. Anyway, when he left uh, Williams to go to McLaren, he too had to take gardening leave. But uh, what he did is he actually continu- he continued to work, he continued to design cars, but just on all his sketches, he would put the date as when his gardening leave ended. So really, he was cheating, meaning the 1998 and 1999 World Championships with Mega Hackman are null and void. No, it's actually alright. Anyway, there's been more um, musical chairs in McLaren this week, as the Aston Martin senior aerodynamicist Mario Alperin has been announced as joining the team. Personally, I think this is great news for McLaren. They're obviously not in a good place right now. And, you know, seeing these developments here, seeing these bring new people in, it's a sign that Zach Brown and the people at McLaren want to change and they want to move their way towards the front of the grid. I think, overall, this is a good thing. Interesting, though, back to Adrian Newey's book. Now, he obviously was working at McLaren. Uh, It doesn't come across as a fantastic place to work from his book, but obviously when he was working there, it was run by Ron Dennis. Now it's run by Zach Brown. I imagine it's very different. But the most interesting thing for me that he wrote about McLaren was actually from when he was working in Red Bull. And he talked about how for 2010, McLaren produced a really good car. And then for 2011, instead of evolving that car, 
they kind of took things from the Red Bull that won the World Championship and put it onto the McLaren 2011 car, and the car went a bit further back down the grid. Then, for 2012, they kind of had, instead of once again evolving the car, they then had a Frankenstein's monster of all different parts of different cars from up and down the grid. So there was the McLaren, but there was a bit that looked like Ferrari, a bit that looked like Red Bull. Whereas Adrian Newey at Red Bull took the Red Bull 2010 car and evolved it over and over and over again to the point when we get to 2013 and they're just unstoppable. McLaren, instead of having their own ideas and evolving them and working on them, just tried to steal everyone else's and couldn't get them to work. And if you look at right now, what's just happened? I mean, last year they come in with the new regulations, they have their own car. Uh, at times, the fourth fastest car on the grid for the 2023 season, instead of evolving upon that car, they've just taken parts of the Red Bull and tried to make it work, and it doesn't work. So McLaren seemingly just haven't learned their lesson, and this shakeup could be the best thing for them. So I wish them the best of luck. Now let's talk about Porsche, because Porsche have well and truly bottled it. Now, there was the big story last year about Porsche joining Red Bull in kind of a relationship like Red Bull had with Aston Martin a few years ago, where they were a title sponsor, logos all over the car, they had some kind of, they had the deal with Adrian Newey where he could make, um, was it, is it the Vanquish or something? Their hypercar, I can't remember what it's called. Um, so that Porsche were going to do a similar thing. There was a slow introduction to F1. They'd be title sponsors for Red Bull. They'd do some really good stuff there. Go on like that. It then later came out that Porsche were asking for 51% of Red Bull racing, which obviously Red Bull said no to. There was then rumours that Porsche went and approached Williams, and those talks fell down. And then there were other rumours that Porsche approached McLaren, and those talks have also fallen down. And Porsche have now come out and said they are no longer focusing on F1 at this time. And this is one of the biggest bottles I've ever seen. Porsche had it in their hands. They were going to be title sponsors, main sponsors, with the biggest team in Formula 1 right now. And instead, they're nowhere. It's embarrassing for Porsche, and we're going to move on. So, next big story is the grid boxes. Now, obviously, Alonso had the penalty in Saudi Arabia for being slightly out of his grid box. Same thing happened to Ocon in Bahrain. For Australia, the grid boxes will be expanded upon by 20 centimetres. Also, it looks like the, f the first four grid boxes have some lines down the middle, so the drivers can perfectly line up the boxes there to hopefully eradicate these weird penalties where drivers aren't in the boxes properly. We'll have to wait and see if that actually happens. And um, speaking of the FIA doing things... Pit crews will be banned from standing on the debris fences. Now, I know this is done for safety, but sometimes safety is for losers because this is rubbish. I don't like it at all. Some of like the most iconic and best photos from any race weekend is when that driver crosses the line and it has all the pit crew on that wall pointing at them, cheering them. You can see the emotion in the face of the mechanics and that will now be gone. Which really is a shame. I mean, I hope the FIA kind of see that this isn't the right thing to do or that um, the crews find a way around it. Or maybe just pay the fine. But yeah, not a big fan of this. Not a fan at all. 
Let's move on to the race preview now, the Australian Grand Prix. Now, an interesting thing that I only realised this week is that the Albert Park track is not a great one for Red Bull. They've only ever won here once, ever, and that was Sebastian Vettel in 2011, meaning that Red Bull, in their entire history, since they've been on the grid in, what was it, like 2005, 2006, have won the Australian Grand Prix the exact same amount of times as Braun have. And Braun were only around for one season. So that, to me, is mental but let's take a look at the practice sessions to move from the practice sessions i have to move from my phone there with all my notes to these scrap pieces of paper that i had on me at the time so fp1 there's some upgrades up and down the grid uh mo mostly focusing on the two teams red bull and alfa romeo red bull got a new front wing and some new brake cooling systems whereas alfa romeo also have new front wings and the top of their side pods are new as well so that's very interesting now the start of FP1, to quote Yuki Tsunoda, was traffic paradise. Yes, blocking everywhere, yes, cars being sent out at the same time. It was absolutely mental. I thought they were going to hand out penalties left, right and centre for the first like 15-20 minutes of FP1. It then turned out that the GPS on all the cars had broken, so none of the engineers knew where any of the cars were to warn the other drivers of cars coming or when they were sending them out to see where cars were. This caused a red flag until they fixed the issue and eventually they were able to get back out there and it was better not not fixed but it was it was better now the interesting thing about this is that uh, f2 and f3 are running in the australian grand prix this weekend but this is the first ever time that they're running this race which means for the likes of oscar piastri logan Sargent, nick de vries this is actually the first time they've ever run on this circuit whereas uh, they'd raced in bahrain and saudi before in the lower formulas this was the first time that they were ever actually on this track, which, uh, to be fair, when you look at how everyone else was coping, it seemed that the rookies were actually some of the best of the bunch, because everyone was struggling in the practice sessions today. Lewis Hamilton complaining of bouncing at the start of the session, that would slowly go away, but he was getting quite a bit of oversteer as well. He was able to catch it quite a few times. Yuki Snowda had a big moment in FP1 when he was going into turn one, just carrying too much speed, outbraked himself, went through the gravel trap, car bounced up in the air, nearly hit the wall, but he was able to save it. I got it. Turn my piece of paper over now. Uh, Magnussen as well, big wide moment for him. Verstappen spun towards the end of the session. Uh, Logan Sargent, he broke down. Uh, you know, no issue of his own, but the car gave up on him. This caused a red flag and that ended the session. The top three of FP1 was Max Verstappen, then Lewis Hamilton, then it was Sergio Perez in third, although his time was set on the mediums. He wasn't able to set a time on the softs. FP2 now, and we're still getting these twitchy moments from Max Verstappen as we continue on. This is kind of, it's the worst the Red Bulls look. It still looks quick, but it doesn't look as stable as it was in Bahrain or in Saudi. We're still getting a lot of traffic issues as well as we carry on. Uh, rain started to fall, and there was about 47 minutes of the hour-long session left to go. This is when Ocon's engineer comes over the radio and goes, Oh, don't worry, Esteban. The rain will finish shortly. The rain did not finish shortly. It continued for the entire session. There was a very strange moment at one point where the rain was falling down, and there was only two cars on the track. There was George Russell 
And then there was one of the Ferraris. I think it was Sainz. Uh, George Russell was on the Inters in the rain. Sainz was on the Softs. I think that perfectly shows the differences between the Mercedes and the Ferrari team. Uh, the rain continued to fall down until everyone was on the intermediate tyres. And this is very interesting because this is actually the first time we've seen the 2023 cars in the rain. I mean, there was some... Uh, they're doing their show runs that were in the rain, but for full broadcast, fully going for it, this was the first time we saw it in the rain. And the thing that I found the most strange is that two drivers who I consider to be very strong drivers in the rain seem to be the ones who are struggling the most, and that was Lance Stroll and Lewis Hamilton. Both really seem to be struggling with their cars. Eventually, though, uh, there was no real big uh, issues, just a few twitches and stuff, no big crashes or anything like that. Uh, this, when the session ended, the uh, Alonso topped the times, from Leclerc, from Verstappen, although I wouldn't massively read too much into those times, as, like I said, after, uh, with 47 minutes left to go, it started to rain. So we only had, like, 12, 13 minutes of actual running, so no one really put in those massively competitive times. So you can't read too much into that. Right, there you go. So, yes, overall, um, Red Bull still looks strong, if not twitchy, Fernando is looking good in the Aston. Stroll a little bit more anonymous throughout the practice sessions. I think the Ferraris look a hell of a lot better than they did in Saudi. Mercedes looking good. McLaren looked alright, to be fair. I think Lando was in the top 10 for both sessions, so maybe this could be the time. Oscar Piastri has a lot of support, as you would imagine, in his home race of Australia. So it's looking good for them. I'm pretty happy. On to my predictions. So if you're new around here, I make two predictions for every race. I try and make them a little interesting. So here we go. Prediction number one is there will be a Ferrari on the podium. Now, the podium this year, from the first two races, we've made up the same three people. I'm thinking, here we go. It's Ferrari's time. We'll have a Ferrari on the podium. And my second prediction is points for Yuki. Now, I thought that Yuki had finished the last two races in a row in 11th place. It turns out he's actually finished the last three races in a row in 11th place because he also finished Abu Dhabi 2022 in 11th place. Uh, David Croft was saying if he finishes in 11th again in this race, he sets a new F1 record for the amount of times in a row finished in one position that's isn't first which isn't a great record to have especially when the place you have is 11th just outside the points but i think this is the one yuki is gonna score some points come on yuki you can do it right that's f1 out of the way let's talk about f3 because they've had their qualifying and it's gabriel uh bortoletto on pole from gregoire saucy and gabrielli mini in third i'm hoping for a good weekend for mini because i think you know, after Bahrain, he really does deserve it. Borsletto, of course, I think he's leading the championship for F3, so he should be good from there. Even more interesting, 12th place went to Sebastian Montoya, which means for the sprint race, he'll be on pole, the son of Juan Pablo Montoya, leading the way in the sprint for F3. And as we look to F2, it's my guy, Ayumi Owasa, on pole position from Tail Porcher and then Victor Martens. What was very interesting about this is they went out right after FB2, and 
it was properly coming down with rain at that point. There was some uh, cuts away at the start where you saw the car you're surrounded by grey because the rain was coming down so hard. They red flagged it and there was discussions that if the session, if the qualifying session wouldn't have gone ahead, they would have to use the last practice session as the qualifying uh, places for the race. If they had done that, out of the top three in the championship, only one of them would have been in the top ten for qualifying, and that was Awasa, and I think he was seventh. Taylor Portier was like down in 16th or whatever, but they were able to get it done. Uh, just in terms of everyone else there, Isaac Hajar's fourth, Zayn Maloney fifth, Behrman sixth, Arthur Leclerc seventh, Kushmani eighth, Jack Crawford ninth, and Dennis Hauger is tenth, which means that Dennis Hauger will be on pole for the sprint race. Uh, a bit annoying for Ralph Boschon, currently second in the F2 Championship, only 11th. So he was just off getting that sprint race um, pole. But yes, Awasa has done it the first pole position not to go to the ARTs in Formula 2. Formula 2, I'm loving it this year. Very exciting. Can't wait to see what happens there. Uh, make sure you subscribe, of course, to Stop and Go F1 as we continue throughout the year. This weekend is going to be a bit of an interesting one because um, I'm going to. It's obviously, the races are on at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, if you're watching this and you're a wrestling fan, you also know that WrestleMania is this is this weekend, and I'll be watching that as well. So when I speak to you after the race on Sunday, I would have been up for more than 24 hours, which means it may be a very interesting race review. So look forward to that one. Uh, as as far as F2 and F3 goes, I'm going to wait until Monday. There'll be video, videos on that, but there'll be videos on qualifying and the race immediately afterwards. Then driver ratings will come out on Monday. So make sure you subscribe for all of that stuff. It's going to be grand. Right. Until then, though, have a lovely time, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.